Hi, my name is Lisa McCormick, she, her. I'll be reading from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 6 through 12 from the Message Translation. He said, Son of man, have you had a good look? Then he took me back to the riverbank. While sitting on the bank, I noticed a lot of trees on both sides of the river. He told me, this water flows east, descends to the Araba, and then into the sea, the sea of stagnant waters. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish, great schools of fish, because the river is turning the salt sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Fishermen will stand shoulder to shoulder along the shore from Engedi all the way to north, all the way north to En Igalim, casting their nets. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds, like the fish of the great Mediterranean. The swamps and marshes won't become fresh, they'll stay salty. But the river itself on both banks will grow fruit trees of all kinds. Their leaves won't wither, the fruit won't fall. Every month they'll bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys ready to sit in on a conversation between me and Vicki? Sweet. Um, all right, to get started, uh, the passage we just read is from Ezekiel, which is an Old Testament uh, prophetic book. What are your initial thoughts when you hear the passage that was read? Has anybody ever heard this passage before, or heard it preached at all? Renee. So yeah, the idea of um, the salt water turning fresh is basically just the, well, not just, but the idea that, um, that life is coming to a lifeless space. Okay, don't jump ahead in the sermon, but um, so <laughs> yeah, he's sharing the idea of the river flowing from the temple bearing good fruit. The idea is with Imago going into the community trying to bear fruit. Um, good, good connection. Yeah. Yep. So what did it mean that some of the marshes and swamps would stay salty? <laughs> the church is the judge people. <laughs> Backing slowly away from that one. <laughs> yes. No, that's great. Yeah. 
Okay. So our, our resident biologist is struggling with the literal interpretation of the analogy, which we'll get into that a little bit. Yes. The leaves are medicine for the people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like you so much already. Yep. So I'm going to talk a little bit about context here in just a second, what happened before, like where this falls. But she's saying it's hard to fully understand the impact of this passage without knowing what the changes were in response to. And I will get into just a tiny bit of that. Um, we're not doing a full deep dive because the point is the directives. But yeah, I'm definitely going to get into that here in a second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there are some parallels to like Psalm 1, for example. For me, it, it harkens very much to the end of Revelation 21 and 22, which is the context I'll get into here in a second. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, so um, try, I want to make sure I catch everything because that was all really good. So the idea that the New Testament writers reference things like the fruit of the Spirit and um, the tree of life bringing healing to the nations, they, they obviously were informed by the things that were in, in the Old Testament scripture and also were understanding those in a new way, which that part actually does very much tie into what we're going to talk about with the directives today as well. Anybody else? All right, so um, we picked this passage specifically because this, um, so all of Ezekiel uh, is, not all of it, but a, a, a huge portion of the prophet Ezekiel's work is around this idea of first watching the Holy Spirit leave the temple because of the corruption of the, the Israelite people at the time. It's heartbreaking and, and it's, it's wrenching to, to watch as basically you get a tour of the temple and the Holy Spirit with, withdrawing as different people are committing different heinous acts of corruption in the country. This passage is then speaking to the restoration of all things. And so, uh, again, it makes me think a lot of the end of Revelation, this idea that, that God or the Holy Spirit is the river who comes back to the temple and then overflows out of the temple into the world, changing the, the things that are lifeless into things that are life-giving, providing everything that is needed for the people to not only survive but to thrive and to prosper, 
um, there is still a place for the salt water. There is still a place for the marshes and the swamps, but it's, it's not to the detriment of the ability of the people to thrive. Um, and so the idea is that those trees can either represent the churches on the earth or the different things that an individual church can contribute to their community, but that idea that we are meant to be the stewards of that healing to the nations, that, that fruit that, that feeds the people and allows them to thrive. So this really goes into what it means that we are the image of Christ in the world, ambassadors of the kingdom, all of that language. We are carrying this hope and faith into the world to see the kingdom come today, understanding it will not ever be fully fulfilled until the return of Christ. Okay, she says that we picked that scripture. She totally picked it because she's better at that than me. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, so you can go to the next slide, <clears throat> Young. And the idea that of this particular sermon is why do we even have directives here? And kind of wrapping up, Vision Sunday, we talked about community for the whole year, and we're moving into this word sanctuary. So as we talk about the directives, there really is a good flow for that. So I wanted to explain the origin of the directives at Imago Day. Of the people who started the church, Corey and I uh, were sitting in the room when these were created. Um, and these were actually uh, created before Imago Day had its first meeting, even with the launch team. So just a little bit of history. Um, Charlie Dean is the founding pastor of this church. He was sent out by Northwoods Community Church to create his own church because they saw the leadership potential in him. In probably November or December of 2007, the leadership team in its inception was formed and we were sitting around and one of our meetings, Charlie had been, he had come back, <clears throat> sorry, come to that meeting and he had been sitting in Jubilee State Park that day trying to figure out what the church should look like, just dreaming. And he came back with five words and those five words became our directives. So while he came up with the words, I don't want you to think that this is the Charlie show. These words and directives were fleshed out by a team of people who care very deeply about this space um, in all of its iterations that it's had since its beginnings. So don't think that this is of single origin, okay? So the five words that he came back with, um, everything, mission, process, community, and Christian. Those were um, the words that we wanted to put ideas around and we wanted them to be good guardrails. This idea that these words and what we said about them would be malleable enough to expand and strong enough to grow and adapt as necessary. We didn't want them to be a prison. We wanted them to be something that was life-giving. So as a baby leadership team, we're sitting in our meeting space. If you're curious about the places that the church has been, the pictures of all of our locations are hanging up in the Parkview Hall. So the very first one, there's a house. These were written in that house. And they were written in community. Like I said, that first leadership team had eight people on it. They were written in community and for the community. Um, so like I said, probably November or December of 2007. And something I really want to make sure that everybody knows is this church didn't start as a negative reaction to something that we didn't like. This church started because we had a good foundation and we wanted to do something a little different in a positive way, not a we aren't that. We wanted to say, we are this on our own, not because we were reacting to something else. So please understand that we didn't want to be tied down by doctrinal dogma. We wanted to be able to serve wherever the Holy Spirit was leading. And so that's why the directives, while not necessarily fluid, I probably wouldn't call them fluid, but they are malleable. They're meant to adapt. You're meant to interpret them 
in the light of what is happening around us. And the language in them, I think, conveys that very well. Um, so I came into the church about nine months after it had started publicly. And I was in a master's program at that time for organizational development uh, and leadership. So the number of papers that I've written on these directives, I lost count of very early in that program. Um, so my, I, I don't wanna say love for the directives, my passion for these directives um, as they're written really does come out of a lot of time that was spent literally meditating on, on every single word in these. So I was not in that room. I was not part of that inception but I do feel that the directives are a huge part of why I um, committed to Imago and frankly why I've stayed. Because even when there have been attempts to change these directives, we have gone back to a commitment to understanding them in a new way rather than tossing them and, and creating something new, uh, which was very, very important to me. It is important to note that the directives, while they um, are the guide, like the guardrails for the church, as a 501c3, we have bylaws. Those are different, okay? So, because every 501c3 has to have a governing document um, called our bylaws, those have changed at least twice. So, just be aware of that. And that mostly has to do with like leadership structure and things like that, so that our bylaws accurate, accurately reflect what's happening here. So, just keep those separate in your mind. Um, so, as Vicki said, these were written so that they would be um, rooted enough to hold us firm but flexible enough to be re-understood as the world changes and grows. Um, for those of you who have been around for a long time, you've seen this in action. Us being an affirming faith community was a process. Um, there are other things that have been processes. Women in leadership was a thing from, from the beginning. Ra dealing with racial injustice and, and poverty issues, those were part of the, the church from the beginning. But there have been things that we have had to walk through that the directives had held us firm, but that meant that we understood a directive in a new way, or all of them in a new way. They are also intended to be understood through the lens of the others. So these are not individual posts. These truly are, and I've always loved the, the three-circle analogy. They create a net, right? so that, that nobody is ever in danger of falling completely outside. They will always catch us, um, but they are interwoven. So because the theme for our teaching this year has been community, when we knew we wanted to talk about the directives as part of this month with Vision Sunday and everything, we decided to present the directive reminder to you all through the lens of the community directive. So if we can go to the next slide. And we're not gonna talk about this particular directive on its own because it's informing the rest of the discussion, but for reference, the community directive very simply is, we believe that spiritual formation happens in the context of intentional relationships that may take many forms. And we're gonna talk about what that looks like throughout the rest of, of the directives. So go ahead, if you wouldn't go to the everything slide. Luckily, that's the shortest one, so there's not a ton to remember. Um, so the directive everything states, we believe that all of life, food, friends, work, money, pleasure, sleep, and that is not an exhaustive list, is spiritual. We do not fragment our lives. We live with a growing understanding that everything we do relates to God. So for me, 
this is different than the whole sacred secular division I had grown up with. There was something very freeing for me about this. Um, the time we spend in worship can be, be spiritual. Uh, not always. <laughs> That's what you bring to it at the end of the day. But that is not the only place where we are experiencing spiritual truth. Um, our time with coworkers, at family gatherings, watching TV with our partners, everything we do in the context of relationship with ourselves, others, or nature is spiritual. Now, whether it's spiritually healthy or destructive or a little of both, obviously there's a lot that goes into that question, but everything we do contains a spiritual aspect. Um, so a couple of examples of this, and um, I know I told this story recently. I don't know if it was at Eat Strings and Orthodoxy or where, but pardon me because I know it's been used recently. Uh, there's a book called Reinventing Spiritual Formation by Doug Paget that was very foundational for me. And the book is structured um, by days of the week for the chapters, and each day uh, focuses on a different aspect of a church that he helped to develop in Minnesota. And um, there is a, a section in their community chapter that has always stayed embedded in my mind. He says that as the church got larger, they decided that they were going to stay committed to a weekly dinner at somebody's house for the entire church. It got to the point where they had 50 to 70 people, not including the kids, in one home. So obviously the logistics got complicated, but they doubled down and they were committed to it. Um, and he's talking about the different ways that that can play out. And one of the things he said was, um, he was talking about the idea of leaving your gift at the altar if your brother has something against you and going and resolving that before you continue your worship. Uh, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Must have been EDO. Um, and he says, it's very difficult to hold a grudge against somebody when you're asking them to pass the ketchup or washing, watching them wash your dirty dishes. And I just felt like it is so easy to only engage with people in this space. And especially if you maybe have an issue with them, never engage with them elsewhere. But if the church is set up so that we are engaging with each other at breakfast, when we're serving, when we're going on hikes, then we're gonna have to rub up against each other a little bit more. And that tension, while uncomfortable, can absolutely turn into resolution of conflict and restoration of relationship. Something very simple can turn into something very profound when we understand that those connections are spiritual. Yeah, I probably, so Manny leans more towards um, like relationship with others in this particular way. I probably lean more towards relationship with nature when it comes to these um, kinds of ideas of everything being spiritual. Um, and so, actually, when I, I'm going to be teaching um, twice in October, so you're welcome, Imago, because that's a lot of work. <laughs> no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, I love to talk to you guys, sorry. Um, but that idea that uh, we just have to be aware of it. And so one of the things I'll be talking about in October is how do we, how do we become aware of the spirituality that is around us and in us. And so, I, like I said, I probably lean more towards nature and just being aware of what's already there. And so the Barbara Brown, oh, Taylor, sorry, I forgot her last name on there. The earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. 
that is a really pretty way of saying, if you just look around, you're going to see God. And I just firmly believe that. There's nothing in my life that has convinced me that that is untrue. Um, just one last example on this, and then we'll move on, is a documentary that I've watched more times than I can count. It was introduced to me by somebody named Drew Slevin, which some of you might know. He's kind of famous in Peoria for being like the most awesome person that's ever existed. But uh, I had the pleasure of developing a friendship with him before he moved and he brought this documentary to my attention. We watched it one night and then talked for a while. But um, long story short, the entire focus of this documentary is the idea that we are all connected and not only to each other, but we're all connected to the, the earth. And there's a lot of science in it, there's a lot of woo-woo science in it, there's a lot of anecdote in it, but at the end of the day, um, one of the things that he pulls from this is that as we've observed nature, we've seen that um, it's not always Darwinian. It's not always about competition. They show example after example of animals in the natural world using democratic processes to make decisions like which watering hole to go to or you know, where, where to travel that would be safest. And it was actually really profound for me, having grown up in standard Darwinian science classes, to realize that there is so much cooperation in nature. And, and that needs to inform how we see each other because everything from our economics to our corporate structures are set up with this survival of the fittest competitive mentality. That's maybe contrary to how we're actually wired as, as people and as, uh, as a group of people. Um, so again, it just reiterates to me that idea that there's so much more connection than we realize and we need to pay attention to the spirituality and all of that. I love that science is bearing out the entanglement of all things. I, it, if you ever have a chance to read any of it, quantum entanglements are actually really fascinating. All right, you wanna go to the next slide, please? I can read it, yeah. So we believe being formed in the image of God means being a reflection of Jesus, even if imperfectly to the people around us. We are committed to promoting the values of the kingdom of God, justice, equality, mercy, and grace. Furthermore, we honor, respect, and partner with other organizations that may be different than us in order to serve the community. And I have several of the groups that we partner with, Jolt, Friends, Foster Village, PFLAG, and then that bottom one is the Interfaith Alliance. Um, and the reason that this particular directive is worded this way, this came out of a reaction to Charlie's experience in other churches. There is so much good work being done in our community that's not being done by churches. That's just true. The church cannot be everything to everybody. We need other people, we need other organizations. So this is worded this way, so that regardless of what organization we see doing the good work, we wanted to have the freedom to join them there. And just because we partner with an organization does not mean that we agree with everything that they stand for or everything that we do. But we wanted to have the opportunity to make that decision for ourselves as a baby leadership team so that nobody would have the right to judge us because we'd just be like, well, it's in our directives that we get to partner with these people. Um, like, that's seriously, I mean, it's funny, but that's seriously where it came from was we didn't want, we didn't want to have any kind of barrier to the work that we saw, um, like, being done. So our community that we live in is bigger than this space, and we wanted to have the opportunity to choose how we would be connected to it. 
Um, so as a youth pastor in my 20s, um, I was part of a, of a church that was a mainline denomination. Didn't feel particularly restrictive at the time, but I hadn't really started my deconstruction yet. Um, and I had a couple of situations occur, one of which was um, I developed an internship, a summer internship for two of our high school students. And one of the things I was really passionate about was getting involved in service outside of the church. And at the time, Friends was called uh, Friends of People with AIDS. And I, I was not allowed to partner with them um, because of the, the community we would be serving. It, it was never directly stated, but it was on the not okay, not approved list. Um, and then I did quite a bit of fundraising and awareness raising for World Vision during that time. Um, we did the 40-hour the famine, or the 30-hour famine, multiple times uh, with the youth group. Um, did a lot of really cool things, but in the course of that, had a conversation with a musician I had met at Cornerstone, who was actually very formative for my faith at the time. Um, he was very liberal in his lyrics, but um, as I actually got the chance to get to know him, we had about a three-week debate um, that was, for me, I was still very much um, in that submission mindset as a woman. So even though he wasn't like an authority figure in my life, he was older than me and he was male. And so I really struggled at that time to like argue back with him. But he criticized our, our work with World Vision because World Vision was giving condoms out in Africa. This is gonna be a harsh, uh, I, I should have done a warning before this. I'm gonna say something a little harsh here in a second if there are any littles. Um, but the practice at that time, for those who don't know, AIDS was rampant. Um, it was killing, I think at that time, one out of every two people. And in some of the tribal areas, one of the things that they thought could remedy this was raping infant girls. Um, they, they thought that somehow that would, that would rid them of the disease. This was prevalent, and it was drastically impacting the spread of the disease. Um, this person felt that I was in the wrong by promoting an organization that would hand out condoms rather than teaching abstinence. And that was one of the first times that my insides just kind of broke because I was like, there is no way that's right. <laughs> there's just no way. Like if they're not alive for us to preach to them, then, then there's, there's no point. And I bring up that example, um, not, not to, to throw negative light on anybody, but just to say this directive felt like freedom to me when I came here because I had had these experiences where what I knew the kingdom of God would be about was in direct opposition to what those who led the kingdom of God on this planet were telling me we were allowed to do. It's why this is so important to me. I think that's one of the reasons that I really like partnering um, with these organizations is we get to trust their experience. We don't have to have all of the experience, expertise, or knowledge that goes into supporting these organizations. Um, I volunteer regularly with Jolt. I have to be honest with you, I'm still conflicted about it sometimes, but their tagline is any positive change. And Mandy said it, if they're not alive, they won't know that God loves them. And so I would like them to know, whoever them is, that we love them and we get to be the hands and feet of God on earth. And I think I mentioned this in like sermon discussion a few weeks ago, when people feel like God is judging them, they don't see the face of God, they see the face of another human. And so if people feel loved, they may not see the face of God, but hopefully maybe they'll see my face or your face. That's what we want this directive to be about.
Um, if we can go to the next slide. So our next directive is process. We honor everyone's journey of faith. We exist, Imago exists, to walk alongside people as they seek to discover deeper levels of faith and intimacy with God wherever they are in the process, whether spiritually seeking or spiritually mature. I will say, while I don't ever want the directives to be changed, if there was one word, we've never been able to find a better word than spiritually mature. That's the one word, but we haven't found a better one, so it's stuck. But please understand that is not to introduce a hierarchy of spirituality by any means. It's truly about encapsulating whether you're a, a forever seeker, whether you're content with where you are in your faith right now and you are, are looking to make the most of, of where you are, whether you are um, in the throes of deconstruction, not even sure you're a Christian because you don't know what to believe anymore, we want to exist for you. We want to be a space where you can flesh that out with other people of faith and other people who have been through that process or are going through that process or might be about to go through that process. Um, if you want to go to the next slide, um, to use some evangelical language, we should all have Paul's, Timothy's, and Silas's in our lives. And what that means is we should all have somebody that we're looking up to who's maybe further along in one way or another. We should all have people who are looking to us for guidance, whether that's your own kids or youth or, or just somebody who's newer to figuring out their faith. Um, and we should all have partners, people who are in the same place that are walking together. I'm very lucky. Vicki is all three of those things for me. Um, so it doesn't have to all be one person. Uh, and, and a lot of you are that for me, whether you know it or not. I learn things from most of you that I have any kind of exposure to um, in all sorts of different ways all the time. You give me the opportunity to be a little bit of a Paul when you let me come up here and talk at you. Um, and we're all in this together. Uh, not always are these people that we know in person or are alive either. Um, don't invalidate your, your mentors uh, through books or podcasts or other media, um, people who have existed before. Um, St. Francis of Assisi is absolutely one of my mentors. Some of my others are here, Anne Lamott, Nadia Boltz-Weber, Shane Claiborne, and Peter Rollins. Um, Vicki let me put mine up, but uh, these are some of the people that have absolutely informed my faith in such a way that it would not be the same without their influence. So make sure that, that as you're going through your process, you're not alone. And if you feel that you are alone, ask the guidance of the Spirit on, on who might be a Paul or even a Timothy. Sometimes I learn best when I'm preparing something for you all. As I'm digging deep and trying to figure out how to teach a thing, a lot of times I end up learning just as much that I had not thought of before through that process. So, so please just be open to those who can walk through that process with you on whatever level. So I read Richard Rohr every day. Um, he's probably the person who has influenced my faith the most. I've never met him in person. Um, I've seen him live at an event, but never talked to him in person. But it's funny, in my house, there's one wall that I have that I put quotes on. They're either funny or they're profound. They're usually profound because finding funny stuff is harder and harder. But um, my kids make fun of me because they're like, oh, you put something up new today. Is that from Richard Rohr? I'm like, why don't you go read it and find out? And they're like, yes, yeah, it's from Richard Rohr. Um, 
but they, they just make fun of me for this wall that I have of quotes, and, but I know that they're reading it. And um, that is important to me because my kids asked me, so it was probably three or four years ago now, we're sitting at dinner and one of them pipes up, they're like, are you gonna be mad at us if we're not Christians? And I'm like, no. Why would I be mad at you about that? I said, my God that I believe in is big enough for however you are and whatever you're going to be. That's process. That's me honoring their process. And for me, being able to say that to them, that they even had, that they felt the safety to even ask me that question, meant that Richard Rohr had affected my process. And so I just encourage you, as you think about where you are in your faith, know that Imago has had um, atheists that have sat in here for long periods of time because it was a safe space. We've had pagans that sit in here. We've had uh, Muslims and Jews come talk to us. This is a safe space. We honor everybody's process, wherever they are in their faith, even if we wouldn't call their faith the same journey as ours, the same strain of faith, if you will. So just keep that in mind. When we talk about process here, we actually mean it. Okay. That does segue well um, into our next. Um, is this our last one? Yeah, we already did a mission. Okay. Uh, into our, our actually our last directive. This actually segues really well. If we could go to the Christian slide. It's so, like we planned that or something. Like, <laughs> um, Holy Spirit, what? Uh, so, um, everything that Vicki just said is very true. Um, I, I am a Christian pagan, and I'm happy to answer questions about that if that freaks you out. But um, so, so, it really is true that we are open in this space to the idea of process. Um, however, and um, there is also the reality that we are a Christian church. That does mean something. Um, and so the directive itself reads, we are committed to historic, orthodox, Christian faith as found in the Apostles' Creed. We are committed to a generous orthodoxy under a banner of love and grace. As such, we commit ourselves to faithful reading and study of the Bible, finding new and creative ways to live out what it, what it teaches. Okay, so this particular directive, we wanted to make sure that we were claiming all of Christian history and not the last 200 years. So the last 200 years of Christian history is roughly 10% of Christian history. So if we only do anything that's based off the last 200 years, think about what we're missing out on. So much beauty, so many things that we just wouldn't have access to. And so this directive was written this way specifically so that if it was true, we could lay claim to it. Um, I think that there's some quote like treason is a matter of dates, uh, heresy is a matter of dates, okay? So what we do today, somebody may call heresy in the future, but there is definitely stuff that we do now that used to be heresy in the past. And so we just really wanna hold that loosely, but that doesn't mean that we don't hold on to it at all. It means that we trust the Holy Spirit. So there's an idea of like holding on to something really tightly and God having to pry your fingers off of it. But if you let it rest in your hand, God gets to decide if it stays there or not because you're not grabbing onto it. You're relying on the Holy Spirit. All my eggs are in the basket of the Holy Spirit. 
They really are, because I believe that that's true, and that's who Jesus said he would send to us to guide us into all truth. Um, so just remember that. You can talk about Phyllis Tickle. That's fine. Um, there's a, a quote from Phyllis Tickle, who is uh, as adorable as her name, and um, she is kind of a Christian historian, and she says that the Christian church has gone through a major reformation about every 500 years. She calls um, it a rummage sale. <laughs> um, and, and about 10 years ago, she was saying that's roughly where we are right now. And so uh, that gives me a little bit of peace about some of the turmoil that our faith in general is experiencing. Um, my hope is something beautiful comes from it. Uh, that's the only thing I can do is hope. Um, there's so much negativity and so much conflict and strife and hate um, surrounding the word Christian um, right now. And our job is just to be faithful to what we know to be true, um, specifically that the love of Jesus changes things. Um, and so there is this reality that the Eastern Orthodox Church is part of who we are. Um, the church in Africa 700 years ago, whatever it looked like, is part of who we are. There are communities of faith gathering all weekend, all over the world, in all sorts of languages, reaching back to all sorts of different tenets of, of what's been called Christianity over the last 2,000 years this weekend. To think that we in America have the, the lion's share of truth is, is just despicable. Um, we need some humility and understanding what Christian means while at the same time holding firm to what we know. Um, when it comes to scripture, I strongly recommend, if we could go to the next slide, worship team, give us just one second, we'll call you up. The Bible Tells Me So by Peter Enns um, is one of the most approachable texts on scripture. I don't think I disagreed with a single thing in it. Not that that means anything for you, but um, I actually really, really loved how he presented scripture um, in this book. Strongly recommend, if, and it's informed a lot of the teachers here. So just, I, I would recommend if you're looking for a book that talks about a little bit of how Imago approaches scripture, this is a good one. But when it comes to the bigger picture of scripture, truth in scripture, Charlie Dean had the best analogy I've ever heard, and, and I really, I still hold to it to this day. He talked about our understanding of Scripture, especially as we start to understand the actual texts in the Bible, some of the problems that come up uh, when you believe that it's inerrant and infallible. Um, he, he used the analogy of the tortoise and the hare, right? Like the, the analogy we all heard as kids when we were little, we thought an actual rabbit and an actual tortoise had a throwdown in the forest. All their little buddies got together, put up a little finish line, and they trucked it through to see who would win, right? Like, we thought that was real. And then we're like 9, 10, and we're like, that's a bunch of malarkey. That didn't happen. Like, animals don't do that. And so then we realized it wasn't true. But as we get older, we start to go back to that concept and realize it's not not true. Slow and steady is often better when we're trying to accomplish things in life than just going all out from the finish line. Whether it's weight loss, repairing your finances, working on a relationship, mending a betrayal, dealing with your own trauma, most of that is not a sprint, right? 
So it ends up being way more true at the end than it even was at the beginning. I am not saying that everything in scripture is fiction. What I am saying is that it's all true, regardless of whether it's historic fact or not. It's the difference between truth and accuracy. I, that can be scary. Just like what Vicki said about her conversation with the kids, it takes courage to let other people believe the way they believe. It takes courage to hold what we, hold, uh, what we believe loosely. Everything I believe, I believe passionately and with every fiber of my being, and I can articulate it to you. And 10 years ago, most of what I believe today, I would have said was absolutely not true because what I believed then was super different. But I held it passionately, but with an open hand. I, I encourage all of us to try to do the same. Being open about allowing other people to believe the way they believe does not have to mean you're not completely passionate and completely committed to what you do believe. Yeah, so what I usually tell people about scripture um, is just that it's worth knowing. It's absolutely 100% worth knowing. It doesn't mean that you have to memorize it, though, though I do recommend that because it's a way for it to really get in there. Um, but it's definitely worth knowing. Does that mean everything happened that way? No. Truth versus accuracy. So just keep that in mind. Um, the other thing that I want to put under Christian, because we are a Christian church, okay? But I think Christian uh, should be more than what, it has, what it's made out to be, especially in the last 50 or 60 years. Um, so the Apostles' Creed is up there. And this is kind of, quote, unquote, our Christian statement. There are problems with the Apostles' Creed, Okay. But, and so, like, as a baby leadership team, we're like, well, we should probably put something Christian in there, like, linked to something. We didn't want it to be part of the directive, necessarily, but we wanted it um, to, to be in there. So we, we ended up putting it in there, and honestly, we picked this one because it was shorter, okay? The Nicene Creed is really long. It might be more accurate and have a better history behind it, but the Apostles' Creed was shorter. And it does have a problem. It's called the Great Comma. I don't know if you guys have heard this. Um, Born, suffered, crucified, died, and was buried. It says nothing about his life. But the nice thing about that is that we do know Jesus' life. We have the scriptures to inform us of that. We don't need to list it in a creed. And we can disagree about the semantics of the creed. Okay, like this descended to the dead. Some people are like, well, he descended to hell. Well, we take that out eventually because you can do it either way because some people won't believe in the doctrine of hell. You can stand up here in communion and not say any of those words and still be 100% valued and accepted here because we all have problems with everything. I've never met anything that's perfect. Um, and just real quick, one thing about the fact that it is the shortest creed, honestly, part of that was there were the fewer, fewest things to disagree about. Yes. It, I mean, it's funny because, you know, let's make it short and sweet, but also that really was a driving factor was we want as few things to create an us versus them or an either or as possible. And the Apostles' Creed being the shortest provided the fewest opportunities for us to, to have to, to wrestle with disagreement unnecessarily. Absolutely. Uh, worship team, if you want to go ahead and... So when it comes to uh, the Apostles' Creed um, and, and what Mandy said, you know, the fewest things to disagree on. We are part of organizations. We work with organizations. And part of our work with them, like the Interfaith Alliance, Affirming Faith Community, you know, having pride in our parking lot there have been false walls built between church and whatever else you want to list, okay? And part of our process here, part of us being Christian here, is trying to break down those walls that really didn't need to be there in the first place. They're false walls. 
And we don't need walls between people of faith. You don't have to fear the other. We can be for the other. And I like to say if it's God's truth, then it's true everywhere all the time. And it doesn't matter what you call it. It's still true. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is just I don't want Imago or anybody sitting here to fall into the trap that we have it all figured out. These directives are good, and they're true, I think. And they guide us in ways that we can grow and be for the other, and then give us space to change. If you think the same way that you thought 10 years ago, I really encourage you to look at that. Some things you might still believe, but I hope that you believe them a little bit differently. Maybe you're a little bit more passionate about them or less passionate about them. But we should be changing. We should be growing. So just don't let us think that we've ever figured it out here. We're not going to be perfect. St. Augustine of Hippo said, if you understood him, it would not be God. So think about that. If you understood it, then, then you've missed the point. It's not God, because God is more than what we can understand. But to me, that's an exciting thing, because it means there's always somewhere to go. There's always a mystery to be dived into. There's always something else that you can turn like a prism and see the different facets of whatever it is that's God, that God has got coming up for us next. It's an, it can be an exciting adventure or it can be a terrible slog. And we get to be the ones that choose our attitude towards that. So when the church started, before we had public services in March of 2008, we had something called the launch team for three months. And the idea of the launch team was that it was um, a time for us to kind of, for everybody to know what we believe, for us to be in community together a little bit and kind of have a critical mass before we launched our first service, but get a kind of our feet underneath us with these people who were passionate about what we're doing. And what I kind of view Imago going through right now, this genesis that we have happening again and again, I kind of feel like you guys here and watching online, you're our new launch team. As we think about Imago being a sanctuary, letting people know about what we have going on here, you're our new launch team. We get to um, be firmly rooted together and bring people into that with us. So one of the things that we did with the first launch team was we actually gave out acorns. So I have a bowl of acorns up here, and I'm going to put them in the back as you guys leave today. I would really like for you to take one. The original, leader, the original launch team took an acorn. And I love metaphor. I love analogy. I love imagery. But we get to grow something here. There are good roots at Imago. The roots here are good, and they go deep. And you guys are part of that. So let's continue to grow. Let's continue to make a soft space for people to land. This idea of sanctuary, we go forward. Let's be a community that can be a beacon of hope for people with these good roots that we have. We honor their process, and we encourage them that God is everywhere and loves every part of them no matter what. People are careworn when it comes to talking about Christianity today, I think. Let's be a place for them to talk about it in a way that isn't demanding of them, but allows them to share at their own pace. So as you think about an acorn and it growing, like trees can bend or they can break in a storm. Because like Mandy said, every 500 years there's a major reformation, right? We're kind of in that storm of Christianity right now. What's going to be? We really don't know. But we can bend or we can break. And I really hope, Imago, that we bend 
because we have so many beautiful things going on here. You guys are beautiful, and you reflect the image of God in the way that you were meant to, and I appreciate you so much. So as you leave today, I really encourage you to take an acorn, put it somewhere where you see it, and remember that we're all growing together into something beautiful with good roots underneath us, and we have the opportunity to bend and not break as everything rages around us. Grace and peace.